hello, working wife, happy life listeners. It's been a few weeks, as I've shared, these next few weeks or months may be more sporadic in terms of content. So thanks for sticking with me as we all try to figure out what the hell is up with 2020. (laughs) I don't know if any of you saw the articles about the super rats that I saw last night. So I guess that's what September has in store for us. Anyway, I just finished a book this weekend that I've been reading for an embarrassingly long time. If you're like me, I have so many books on my nightstand and probably buy three to four books a month. However, it can take me weeks to read one. I read a few pages at night and my eyes immediately shut. I carry it downstairs with me every morning with the fantasy that I'm going to pour my tea and read quietly on the porch before everybody gets up. Then I end up unloading the dishwasher or feeding the dog while my tea brews and the next thing I know the day is gone. Then I dutifully bring the book back upstairs to bed with me at night, yet unopened for that day. Alas, I did finish this book this weekend called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. If you are at all interested in therapy, what happens, how therapists think about their patients, different types of issues and diagnoses that can arise, all the things, I highly recommend this book. I saw so much of myself and many people in my life through the different scenarios, and the writing is truly gripping. You travel through the ups and the downs and the humanity of the stories. You just realize that we all have so much to bear and so much to share of who we are. People are just fascinating, and this book provides such a thoughtful view into some truly beautifully damaged people and how they continue to put one foot in front of the other like we all have to. So speaking of the humanity of stories, this week's guest is an incredible one. Uh, Jason Bassa Nemec is a freelance writer with a PhD in English and a stay-at-home dad. I'm so excited to air this episode as I met Jason through another cold email whim of mine when I found his article in the Washington Post titled, I love being a stay-at-home dad and I still struggle with what it says about me as a man. I was so struck at not only his incredible writing, but also like the vulnerability he shared as he unwound so many dichotomous feelings about his role and how society views it. I felt an instant connection to Jason and was so inspired by his perspectives and his openness, and I hope you are too. Enjoy my conversation with Jason. This is this is a topic that I think is not getting enough conversation happening around it. And I think particularly um, how I found you and what I was most inspired by was just a male voice in this conversation because I am flooded in, in my work and my day-to-day with a lot of female perspectives on primary caregiving dads. So how I found you, Jason, was reading your article in Washington Post about uh, how you love your role as a stay-at-home dad, but you do struggle about what that, you know, imply what, the title, what it implies for you as a man. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us on Working Wife, Happy Life, where you are very much a welcome guest. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and you're a writer by trade, right? This wasn't just a... Yes, I mean, trade's maybe a strong word, but yeah, I... Um... I went to graduate school for creative writing. Uh, my master's is in poetry, and then I switched up uh, into fiction writing for uh, a doctoral degree. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I've been writing creative writing for many, many, many years, slowly struggling to uh, get published in that field. Um, and then, yeah, found myself after I became a parent, as most parents are, you know, completely overwhelmed, but also inspired by the, the, the act of, of parenting and, and found myself with all these stories and yeah. trying to figure out how to tell them and so on and so forth and ended up publishing a lot more of that work than I ever did in, in fiction and poetry. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of stumbled into that. It's interesting. My husband's also, he's a songwriter and mm-hmm. he um, studied literature in college and um, it is, it's interesting how you know, your life kind of, you, you think you're going down with this one path and all of a sudden it transfers into anything. It's totally different thing, but that is, 
a little bit about, I would love to hear your story, kind of mm. how your family evolved. Because you have two girls? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We have a five-year-old. She just turned five a little less than a month ago, EJ. And oh. then we have a two-year-old, Junie, Juniper, but we call her Junie. Oh. Um, so, yeah. Um, and you want to know about our I'd, story I'd as a love family? To, or? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever you're comfortable sharing, I would love to hear kind of your story, how, um, you know, you you guys evolved into, mm. I, I kind of call it, and, and I say it in a, uh, with, as a term of endearment, I, I call us a flip family, mm. right? Because we, we have reverse roles in my family where my husband has, uh, become the primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something we personally planned for. Um, mm-hmm. it's something that just kind of evolved over time and became an obvious next step. Uh, what we didn't realize is how not obvious that would be to so many people around mm-hmm. us and kind of how we had to navigate society's expectations and friends and family and school and all of these other areas where um, they've kind of struggled with, uh, I guess, understanding the dynamic of our family, which we weren't fully prepared for right? Um, and just never was something that I think we gave a ton of consideration to until we were just in it and living it. Mm-hmm. Um, so curious if you guys had a similar path or kind of how your uh, family evolved into this quote unquote flipped roles. Sure. Yes, I mean for uh, for us, and I spoke to it a bit in the article you referenced um, in the post. Um, I never sat down one day with my wife or by myself or otherwise and said, you know, I want to be a stay-at-home dad. It wasn't um, uh, a choice, uh, and it also wasn't a forced obligation in the way that mm-hmm. it has been for for women for a long time, especially much earlier than now, and. Um, you know, it, it, it came about in part, um, because my wife got a job, uh, well, she got a promotion that moved her work from Chicago, Illinois to Hong Kong. And, um, yeah, I mean, at that time I was already trying to cobble together, um, adjunct teaching gigs, uh, in Chicago. I had, you know, gotten my PhD, but without a book published, so on and so forth, like I couldn't get a full-time job. And, um, between that and, you know, I've worked in restaurants for over a decade off and on. And so I was working as a bartender and, um, loving that life. And yet also, I mean, it was a hustle and it was doable when we only had one, uh, right. even though it was a kind of strung out doable, you know, <laughs> working at the bar until two in the morning and coming home to just the occasional complete chaos. Um, and we, my, my wife and I were like ships in the night, you know, like I'd yeah. work evenings and she'd work days and, and we'd both be with, um, our then infant daughter. Um, but anyway, yeah, when she got the, the gig in Hong Kong in, it was a no brainer in, in the respect of like just up and going in part because we knew it was going to be this amazing adventure. And, um, yeah. but once we did that, then, um, you know, I had to basically be the person who helped us make that move in terms of just like, let's just, I mean, we're going to be in a foreign country, like <laughs> let's walk before we can run though. I was able to get a work visa and did eventually teach a college class while we were there. You know, at first I was just taking care of our daughter and, and figuring yeah. out the day to day. And my wife was working a lot more rigorous hours then um, as well. So um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, so we eventually came back to the States in uh, the beginning of 2018 after being in Hong Kong for a little less than two years. And um, yeah, I, again, have like tried to go in and out of some part-time teaching work and, and, you know, working in a bar again and so on. Uh, once we had our second child, uh, I was still attempting to, to work in a, in a really nice bar and, and make that happen. Um, because it's funny, like <laughs> sidebar, like um, I, like learned to love the hospitality industry in a big way. And I got more like actual immediate gratification in there than I ever did um, in academia, though it's Mm. great and wonderful to work as a teacher and to work with students. Uh, So I really loved that world and was hoping to kind of stay in it. But once we had our second kid, we just couldn't. It's a super tough job as parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, then I basically said, all right, you know, I'm back in this more like quote unquote full time. Um, and yeah, and, and yeah, have never sort of, and I never will give up identifying as a writer also, uh, so yeah. though it, it, it takes some discipline 
and some weeks, some days are better than others. I mean, that's definitely one of the, the privileges and blessings of, of me being able to do this work is if I can, if I can get my rear end up in the morning, you know, I might have an hour to crank out some work and still working on a novel. I'm still, you know, in addition yeah. to doing other work. So, um, yep. but yeah, I mean, it's another piece of what you said, um, but we've definitely experienced any number of interesting uh exchanges from the outside world even though we feel like we have a, a strong foothold on like yeah we want to do this yeah mm. it's interesting because it, it does it makes you um sometimes it makes you question it on a particularly bad day it can kind of derail you um but it, there's so many things that you're highlighting here that i think any stay-at-home parent will struggle with this kind of that identity identity and and who am i if not mm. this um one piece that you highlighted in what I read that I loved is that you highlight this is skilled work, right? Mm -hmm. This is not something that is, mm -hmm. um, I think has always been, maybe society has always assumed, you know, whether it's aside from the gender roles of it, but that mm -hmm. this is just, you know, it's, it's simple work. It's easy to do. It's not, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's logis logistically draining. Mm -hmm. It takes a ton of patience. You have to be ready on a dime to have, you know, the big parenting conversations mm -hmm. when you're like, oh shit, okay, we're doing that now. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're just kind of thrown into these situations on a dime where you thought you were just like packing up lunches and all of a sudden you're talking mm -hmm. about God. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's this very, mm -hmm. um, I think to do it with patience, with love, with creativity and all that stuff takes a lot. And, and mm -hmm. I don't think I would be good at it. So, you know, being home during this pandemic has been a huge, uh, adjustment for me. I used to travel mm -hmm. a lot for work. Um, I mentioned earlier, we did this weird split thing where we moved our kids down to uh, South Jersey for school. And I was mm -hmm. still going back and forth to work in Manhattan, uh, which is about two hours away. So I'd be gone for a couple nights a week. And mm -hmm. that felt weird too, you know, mm -hmm. and then I, I knew a bunch of colleagues that would do that, but they were all men and it's different when your mom and, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these different things that come up and keep mm -hmm. happening. You know, my kids are, my oldest is 13. My youngest is eight and a half. Okay. Um, but we've been, my husband's been a primary caregiver since I came back from maternity leave with my second one. Okay. Uh, like you noted, once you have two, I mean, just logistically, it's, it's not one plus one equals two. It's completely mm -hmm. different, mm -hmm. um, kind of home flow. And so we're just, we're, we're continuing to learn, and evolve as a family and, mm -hmm. and see where this is going. But there does continue to be this undercurrent of, you know, like a double standard, I think. Um, but I, 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 you know, I'm curious kind of what you personally as a dad, when you talk about the skilled work and you talked, mm -hmm. talked about like this was never something we sat down and said, hey, we're going to do this. H have you had that moment that you're like, this is what I – this is what I am made to do, or this is what I'm here to do, or, you know, you seem like you really embrace the role. Mm. No, I, I don't, I don't feel like I was made to do this. Uh, I, that said, I do feel like I've, I've gotten good at it. Um, I've developed the, um, the qualities that, you know, one could say I arguably had all along, whether that's some degree of patience, <laughs> again, some days are better than others. Um, 100%. Uh, you know, at least if not always a wonderful sense of empathy, you know, an awareness of the, how crucial empathy is. Uh, and then slowly, but surely was able to, I think, get better at all the, um, putting all that together. And as you said, like, it's a good example and it's sort of parenting in a nutshell, right. Being able to stop on a dime and have those big conversations about God or death. Um, but I definitely want to call out or note that uh, I was just talking to my wife about this, um, that, you know, she, we're very fortunate in that she worked remotely even before the um, pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're all the more fortunate that she was able to keep that job. Our lives didn't change a huge amount in the, in the pandemic. Um, and she, you know, I don't think I realized this until about two years ago. She, and I think a lot of women do this. I've, I've recently read some articles about this. Um, she's still doing a lot of the managing of the home. You know, she mm -hmm. was still sort of, as she put it, like um, volleying me, like setting me up for the spike in some ways. And like, like, um, and I don't think I became aware of that until 
you know, a couple of years ago when, you know, I stepped back and it's obvious, but I mean, I don't think I just, I think there was one moment in which like, um, it's probably been more than one moment, I'm sure at which, you know, our oldest daughter thanked me for, for whether it was like an art project or taking her to swim class or whatever. And I basically just said, you're welcome or something to that effect. And my wife was like, I set that all up. You know, like yeah. I did all that. <laughs> you you get to take the credit. Yeah. You know, um, and so I think you know whatever I've learned or grown into in terms of my abilities to do this work and to get quote unquote good at the craft of it. You know, a lot of it is because I've got a great partner who who sets me up and who still wow. though there's you know she doesn't do everything. I still like take care of like our finances or whatever. We still have sort of have like a, a natural division it of labor as, yeah, as partnerships yeah. do, but, um, but still like, yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's yeah. absolutely huge. I think it's knowing each other's strengths too, or areas where, you know, you want to be like, I know very specifically there's certain things that my husband wants to be in full control of. Right. Mm. And whether that's <clears throat> scheduling or social stuff, like that's, you kind of figure out what each other's roles are. Um, mm-hmm. But it is important to have that partnership and have that communication. And I think, I always think what I see with my husband is I'm always amazed at how naturally some of this comes to him because mm-hmm. he he's an only child. So he didn't have like younger siblings. Okay. Um, you know, his parents, he grew up in a traditional home. His mom worked, but you know, she still kind of did everything and his dad went to work and came home and ate dinner and watched TV, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. men, today's generation of fathers haven't really necessarily had this modeled for them mm-hmm. as much in terms of what's happening in their homes or what they've seen on media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is, there's like a, a bit of a learning curve where, you know, women are, uh, it's not an innate skill, but it's something that we're kind of raised mm-hmm. and expected to do. And mm-hmm. then we see a lot of our friends doing it. And we have kind of this network of of peers that are doing the same thing. So I'll still get the texts of like, which camps are they doing? And can we, mm-hmm. you know, set up a play date? And sometimes that's fine. And I'm happy to do it. And other times, you know, when I was working in Manhattan and not here, I'm like, I, you can't talk to me. You have to talk to my mm-hmm. husband. I don't even know what's mm-hmm. happening, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that has been... I think one of the more uh, kind of exhausting things of our our setup was finding out what are those roles and then how mm-hmm. do we, you know, have to continuously teach people how to engage with our family in a way that we're, you know, not exhausted by. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys go through similar, like as, you know, your daughters are getting older and getting more socially involved, like have you seen just kind of instances where you feel like you're having the same boundary setting conversations with everybody uh you know it's it's here and there i i i mean i i get the sense that like yeah there are the occasional people who i um interact with who when i you know they find out that i'm the, the primary caretaker there's a sort of like sometimes it's a mild surprise when it's a mild there's just a sort of like oh and um, I find that there's like sometimes the, the, the small talk, like whether if I'm like at the dentist office or, or, or whatever, just sort of dies out after that. I feel like sometimes it still is like I get the sense and who knows how much this is me reading into it or whatever. Um, as I continue to learn to just like fully inhabit this role, I sometimes get the sense that it still disrupts a lot of people's scripts about the world. It still disrupts like like the just the you know, and maybe it's more with the older generation or otherwise, but uh, people just still sort of don't know what to, to do with it. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's a combination of like frustrating, disappointing. You just, you, you want us to be a little farther along than, than we are. Um, yeah. What yeah. are, um, you're touching on something. I love that you say it disrupts their scripts. Um, to me, language is such an important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and how we have identifiers of, um, of terms. Like I, I talk about, uh, I think the term provider is mm-hmm. outdated, right? We talk, mm-hmm. we associate that with um, financial provisions. Mm-hmm. We associate that with men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's so much more providership that goes into running mm-hmm. a household and a family. Right. Right. Um, and so I really like, 
want to push that on its head. But even I think even when my husband decided, you know, and we we decided that he would not go back to work, um, we still struggled with what the right language was. Right. Mm. We're like, is he a stay at home dad? Is mm. he a full time? He's settled on full time dad. Is yeah. he retired? Is he taking a break? Is he a songwriter? Like, what is the descriptor? And, mm-hmm. and it's very challenging. Um, we found we really struggled with the language to identify it mm-hmm. in a way that we were getting a response back uh, from others that we were comfortable with. Um, and like you said, it's it, there's that moment that people really don't know what to say next, mm-hmm. right? Whereas yeah. if it's if it's not challenging what their script is, as you said, mm-hmm. then they can proceed with, you know, what they've already mapped out in their head as the next right. point of the conversation. Right. Yeah. People want identifiers in part because they want simplicity and you could break this apart in a million ways, right? How much this has to do with technologies moving faster. People's attention spans aren't as sharp. We want to know like, okay, stay at home dad. That's who that is. Okay. That's a working mom, that's who that is, so on and so forth. And then we can move on into how to interact with that person. And I don't know, I'm listening to you talk. It, it makes me realize just how much, maybe a little less so than uh, than it used to be, but I mean, I really bristled at the, the descriptor stay at home, in part because it's just inaccurate, especially, and I think I touched upon this in that piece as well, like it's, especially for some, for folks like us who we were so fortunate as to be able to go to Asia and, you know, for my wife's work, we not only lived in Hong Kong, we got to travel all over Asia, a number of cities. And like, we were never at home, <laughs> you know, like I, you could call me a stay at home dad, but just for me as somebody who's a writer and who values language in a big way as well, it's just an inaccurate thing to say. Like I don't stay at home, but we define everything in opposition or outward from work, especially in the West, right? Yeah. Like especially in Western cultures, when you first meet somebody at a cocktail party or wherever, the first thing after the second thing after they ask your name is often, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not where you're from. It's not what you've been listening to lately. It's not any number of other things. It's what do you do? Meaning what do you do for work? Right. And so that's, yeah, that can be, that's, that's a tough one to disrupt I'm, I'm, for folks. <clears throat> I'm curious because you have that international experience, um, did you find that in Hong Kong that it was received differently? Did you find more of a community if there was a lot of like expats living in in the area? Did you find like what were some of the cultural differences? And I'm just going on mute because uh, our listeners will hear that my landscapers are here. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, Hong Kong is fascinating for a million reasons. Uh, and during our time there, which is very different now because of what's everything that's happened with the pro-democracy movement, uh, when we were there between approximately 2016 and 2018, early 2018, late 2017, anyway, uh, I, and this I don't think has changed too much. I mean, for expats especially, but also for, for a lot of locals, if, if you were, a, especially if you're a double income family and you ha- kind of have to be because the cost of living is so extraordinarily high there, um, people got uh, domestic helpers and th- the helpers um, are now advocating as they should be to be called domestic workers, which I think is even still a problematic term. But, um, and yeah, and, and the number of, you know, this is of course like basically like the Western equivalent, European equivalent of a, na- of a nanny or an au pair. Um, but in Hong Kong, most of the time, the, the, <clears throat> the domestic worker will live in the home, um, oftentimes in a very small space, um, and basically is on with the kids six out of seven days. They get one day off. And wow. the number of expats, you know, we would interact with a number of expats <clears throat> in addition to locals, and the number of expats who just assumed that we would get a helper. Um, I mean, it was almost all of them. And, and, and talk about like disrupting people's scripts there. It was just like, well, you're going you're gonna to get somebody to help, right? Like you're going to get a, you know, this was just like what people assumed. And, and then like I had people count, like countless people just say, well, also it's so cheap, <laughs> you know, like why wouldn't she do it? It's, it's so cheap. Um, <clears throat> and so... It's that's a whole other. It's a related issue, but it's um, you know, for us, it, we chose not to do that in part because I wanted to be able to be the person, like the main person, taking care of our kids. But also, it was problematic in that, like, 
this is one step away, if not right there with indentured servitude, mm-hmm. um, because the, the, the wages are, are low. Like people said, it's so cheap and it all falls across uh, racial lines. Yeah. Um, the helpers, the workers are either in Hong Kong, at least either Filipino woman and um, some men, but mostly Filipino women and um, Indonesian women. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we just we just it wasn't a choice we wanted to make for a number of reasons. I'm yeah. sorry. I feel like I went off on a tangent there. but No, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating because we you know, my husband has been very um, adamant that, uh, you know, and it's a position of privilege, 100 mm-hmm. percent that we can afford to uh, have a single income family. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been adamant that he is the one that is, no, I will engage with the teachers and I will Mm. be the one at cross country meets and at gymnastics practice and that type of stuff. He's very emphatic about, um, being involved in our kids' lives. And that's something that, you know, especially living in New York where Mm -hmm. everyone has a nanny, even Mm -hmm. people who don't work similarly have a nanny. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, he used to get very frustrated with, you know, kind of the, the playdate hustle with the kids with the nannies. Cause they're just trying to like stay busy and that's their, their job. And he's just like, no, I'm good. I've got my whole life. Like I'm happy for her to have a playdate, but I'm not here to like, you know, hang out with a bunch of nannies. Like that's not mm-hmm. what I want to do with my life or what I want to do with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's similar in that. And also like, I just think, you know, there's something that we, subscribe to as a family that's just kind of like owning your own shit right Mm -hmm. like we just this is our life we built this life it's Mm -hmm. yeah there's parts of it that are monotonous and redundant and certainly now feel like groundhog day but it's ours and Mm -hmm. it's our family and Mm -hmm. like you know I want my kids to see that Mm -hmm. you know I do the laundry and dad does Mm -hmm. the cooking and cleaning and like I want them to realize how much work all of this stuff is and Even my 13-year-old, I told him to take the recycling out. And he's just like, I just did it yesterday. I'm like, yeah, welcome to fucking life. Like, this is what we have to do every day, you know? I'm going away. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's part of that that is, um, you know, it's it's important to show, particularly this generation, and talk about a tangent, but this generation where everything, you know, Amazon comes in two days and Apple TV downloads in a second. And, like, all of mm-hmm. these things happen mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. demand. Yeah. I think to me, the idea of just kind of being responsible for taking care of yourself is a critical, mm-hmm. like that's one of the best things I think we could do as parents is just mm-hmm. teach them to be independent thinkers and also mm-hmm. responsible for, you know, just pick up your shit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an ever, ever going constant work practice, I should say. Yeah. It yeah. is. It is an ongoing thing. And you know, it's easier to do it yourself, but it's just, yeah, you got to make the investment, the time investment to get them to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about like, you know, the, the, the crux of your article that I read and, and how I found you from the Washington Post about you know, your kind of struggle with identity and masculinity in mm-hmm. this role, um, because I think that's a really important topic. And I think it's one, this is a, my assumption. So correct me if you don't feel like this, and, and I'm not asking you to speak for all men and I'm not speaking for all women, but <laughs> they don't um, want that anyway. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I, you know, I feel like it's something where, uh, it's a much more sensitive topic for men to talk about masculinity mm-hmm. in our society than it is for women to talk about femininity mm. um, and, and just kind of how we might struggle with those identities. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious your perspectives on that. Yeah. I mean, again, I, th- I think of the word practice when I, when I think about this type of stuff, uh, because it is a practice. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much. I got a popsicle. Yeah, All right. You. A morning popsicle. Check what flavor Oh, what flavor is this? A oh. watermelon juice. It's a watermelon juice. Oh, a no, healthy, no, no, no. a healthy popsicle in the morning. I like it. Sorry about that. But. All good. Please. They knew I needed some refreshment. Um, yeah. Now that I have my popsicle, I can tell you what I think about masculinity. Um, <laughs> Paper, card, cardboard popsicle for, for, for those listening. Um, yeah, it's like I was starting to say, it's a practice. And, and it is, as I think you posed in one of your questions, it's, it's evolving. And for me, and I mean, it's just so hard to know where to start. It's hard to know like 
what my ideas of masculinity were. Do I start with what they were and how they've evolved to where they are now? I mean, if I wanted to try to, you know, put myself on the couch, so to speak, and psychoanalyze or whatever, I, it's, I mean, I think back to my childhood, I was a kid, like a lot of kids in Midwest. I grew up in Ohio, Midwestern, sort of middle of nowhere, not middle of nowhere, but like suburban Akron, Ohio. And, um, you know, playing guns with my friends and all that type of stuff running around. It's all army. And it was all that type of stuff that like, I would <clears throat> never let our daughters do now. And it's not just because they're girls. I would never let our sons, if we were to have sons do the same thing. Like, um, but yeah, there was this sort of like, um, idea about what a boy and a man should do that gets pushed on you, uh, mm -hmm. through so many different channels and um don't even for me i didn't even start to realize that it was being pushed upon me until much later in life i mean probably yeah. post college like even though i considered myself you know relatively intelligent through those those times you just i don't know i don't uh, like it probably wasn't until becoming a dad where you start to think like oh my god like you know i'm gonna harbor and shelter and uh, help a you know a human make its way in this world you know don't screw it up right so yeah. you know, then of course you start to think about how do you explain x y and z and, and um yeah one of those things started to be like wait a minute things are different for men things are different for women that's not fair things are different for people of color uh that's not fair and and, and so the the need to explain that to my children uh, of course then shows me that then I need to understand it myself or at least try harder. Um, and with masculinity, yeah, I think I had to move away from that, that, that sense of masculinity as a sort of like toughness or, you know, the, the, the guy who like earns the income or whatever that I don't even know where all these things came from. Yeah. Um, as I became a dad, in, in, especially then as I became a stay at home dad in part, because like, I wasn't that. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly, like that I'm not the provider, even though there was like this part of me that still sort of wanted to be, mm -hmm. um, or at least it, not necessarily like make it a competition. Like I need to make more money than my wife. Um, <clears throat> Cause that's just never going to happen. Cause she's a hell of a lot smarter <laughs> talented than me in a lot of ways, but like, but just like bring in more money. And um, as a stay at home dad, I realized like, no, I have to, I, I need to rethink and redefine masculinity for myself in part because I'm not that type of person and, and I don't really want to be. Um, yeah. Um, it's so, yeah, that's where I got to thinking about some of those things that I touched upon in that, in that piece and through conversations with some other um, men who are doing work on feminism. I think of my, um, my good friend Shu, who's from Japan. He's working on a book about um, his journey as a, a feminist, as a Japanese man. And it was through a conversation yeah. with him that I really started to crystallize my ideas about, yeah. um, about masculinity as being about kindness, as being about empathy. It's still strength. Like it's still, like, I think we can still say masculinity and men. And it's not, this is not, you know, solely for men. This is for men, non-binary people, trans people, women, like strength matters in this world. Mm -hmm. But what about strength as, as kindness? You know, right. what, what if we measured strength based upon like who was, who could really be the most empathetic and like do actions as a result of that empathy for others, you know? And so that's the work. <clears throat> yeah. And it doesn't, and, and, you know, you're hitting on something it be saying that masculinity is tied to strength does not mean that femininity is tied to weakness. Like it's, right. th these right. are not, right. they're not opposing mm -hmm. views. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, we just had a moment, I shared earlier that my, my father-in-law passed away and we just had mm -hmm. a moment uh, last night at the dinner table where we all sat down to my mother-in-law's dining room table and, you know, it was, who's going to sit in pop seat, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was that moment of, who feels comfortable sitting there? Do we, you know, mm -hmm. and she had, uh, my son and she said, you know, Reed, you and you and your father are the head of household. You're the men. And I was like, well, wait a minute here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I totally respect and understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but I think it is part of this patriarchal mm -hmm. society that we have assigned to him. And I don't, want him to have that pressure. And then of course I'm the obnoxious one at the dinner table. Like we're just trying to fucking eat. I'm like, I know, but I'm just, I, <laughs> I do think it's important to like unwind these little things Absolutely. that we take as 
yeah. assumptions. Um, and you know, you, you have to balance where it's like, you know, there's moments where I know I say or do things that are, mm. you know, that, would, you know, I, I think the, 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 tip is stopping ourselves in those moments saying, why mm-hmm. do we say that? What does that mean? Yeah. And what is that putting in terms of pressure or, or communicating to my daughter that she's not going to be the yeah. head of household? Because frankly, if you assume head of household means financial provisions, then chances are she will be because 41% of American households are financially led by women. So mm-hmm. why are we putting, you know, mm-hmm. all these assumptions are very, um, they can be very damaging, but they just happen so often mm-hmm. in such veiled ways that they right. become a truth. And that's where I think it's wonderful that, you know, families like ours are kind of spinning things on their head mm-hmm. a little bit just to say, you know, it's totally normal to see mom with a power drill and dad's making meatballs. That has right. literally nothing to do with whether or not he's a man or I'm a woman or mm-hmm. I feel feminine or he feels masculine. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I feel blessed that we are uh, able to have those conversations and able to play those roles and, and question them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an ongoing practice. It's an ongoing thing. And, you know, I was just talking to my husband about this, too, because when when we started down this path, um, you know, like you said earlier, especially in the West, like the first question will be, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And so anytime we went to parties or met new people, and that was the immediate question, he'd just be like, Hey, you're not my people. You know, like (laughs) ask me like, what's my favorite sport? Do I surf? Like you said, what are you listening Mm -hmm. to? Mm -hmm. Um, but he would always, he would like almost pit people on me. He's like, she works for Google. Go talk to her. (laughs) He's going to be more interesting to someone like you, you know? And he just really kind of, you know, he had his guard up because he was mm-hmm. just like, it's just annoying. He's a very interesting person who never uh, identified with his work. He worked in mm-hmm. higher education publishing and he had a good mm-hmm. career, but it wasn't mm-hmm. every, anything that he really hung his hat on. Okay. Um, and so he's just like, is that all I am to mm-hmm. this person is just what did I do to earn a living? And that's mm-hmm. that you inherently don't you're just not my my people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's interesting how all those things kind of pile into one sorry i just went on a total rant no it's fine i just wanted to you know commend you for like even in that moment of calling out whoever it was your mother-in-law yeah you know like or or whoever you know bring it up like and that's a tough thing to do given what you just said like her husband just passed and and any number of things like and yet like and when people respond with hey we're just trying to fucking eat it's like (laughs) i mean i think like people have been trying to fucking eat forever and that's part of why the world is finally making some some moves both on the level of black lives matter and on the level of hopefully waking up to some ideas about masculinity too it's like people don't want to be uncomfortable right they don't want to have any moment of having again back to the script having it disrupted yeah because they're like oh why has everything got to be so serious and nobody wants to take responsibility that the sort of like complacency is like why it's so serious the complacency as you said over time it's it's cumulative and it can be damaging to your daughters. It could be damaging to any number of people who have basically been in the uncomfortable seat for so long. Right. So, I mean, I think that's what we all have to kind of take a, take a note from, and you can't, I feel like I can't, you can't engage in every single moment. That's the thing. Right. Right. Like I hate, I hate all the battle metaphors, but in this case, it's sort of, you sort of like pick your, pick your battle, you know, pick where you want to, I'd rather I'd rather think of you know all the arguments as instead of battles as, as a dance like pick where you want to get in the dance you know yeah but anyway that's I think that's great and has to happen yeah it's true it's you know it's and and my mother-in-law is my biggest fan and I love her I mean she's my best friend and I I you know there's moments where uh I think particularly now with you know, the Black Lives Matter movement um, and other social unrest that's happening where we've been able to engage in conversations Mm -hmm. that, frankly, you know, either pockets of our country and the world or, you know, generational pockets where these ideas have not been challenged Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. they've not had a space for the conversation. And that's Mm -hmm. where it is. It's not what you're saying is it's getting into like what you're saying actually means something. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have to kind of unpack what it is Mm -hmm. that, you know, has given you that assumption or given you that 
uh, perspective and share mm-hmm. why that might be perceived differently or why that mm-hmm. might be actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, another horrible thing happen last night. So we have this, uh, there's the end of a, like a dead end street and we have all these rocks outside and people mm-hmm. have been painting the rocks through the pandemic and they're all mm-hmm. like sweet little messages or creative little things. Mm-hmm. And um, there's one that there's a black lives matter rock. And uh, I didn't see this, but my mother-in-law did that yesterday. Some guy was walking down with his two kids, saw this rock, picked it up and threw it mm-hmm. and then picked it up and put it back, like flipped upside down. So you couldn't see the black lives matter. I mean, I'm glad I didn't see it because I definitely mm. would have gotten in a fight. Mm. Um, but she was so floored by that yeah. and that he was walking down the street with his two little boys who saw mm-hmm. that. And then obviously mm-hmm. she immediately went out and flipped the rock back over. Yeah. But I was like, I mean, just such unnecessary hatred for mm-hmm. something that's an inanimate object, but mm-hmm. represents something that is, I, I just, there, sometimes humanity really terrifies me in that <laughs> right like yeah, it's just like both. that is that is just like such misdirected hatred um, yeah and it's in response to kindness and an attempt at openness right and that's mm-hmm. what's just like wow it's it's that's that makes it all the more egregious of just wow yeah you know but, yeah and so i i just think there's those moments where you know for example with my mother-in-law she's not mm-hmm. going to engage in an argument with this guy who obviously is violent and aggressive and, you know, hateful anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. but her way of just, you know, flipping that back over, like that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not what we stand for. So that, that will be wild and proud. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think it's really thoughtful. I think we, parenting in general it has evolved from something I think where it's just like, okay, just keep them alive. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Like back in the day, like mm-hmm. keep them, keep them moving. And, and then it kind of became this like, okay, keep them super involved and super engaged and learn mm-hmm. Mandarin and, you know, play piano and do all of these things. <laughs> we have them hyper scheduled. Mm-hmm. And, and now I hope, and I think in, for a lot of us, this it's evolved into like, actually we get, we get to start over and we get to shape Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, these, these assumptions and these views as these Mm -hmm. children grow of what, Mm -hmm. what their roles could be or what, you know, they can stand up for what they can do. You know, I talk a lot to my kids where my husband is white as well. And I talk a lot to my kids about white privilege and what it Mm -hmm. means and um, how to use that to help underrepresented groups. And, um, you know, I just think we have such a an uh, silver lining right now to mm-hmm. bring these conversations to light and to help kind of reshape mm-hmm. some of these systems that have oppressed so many, even men taking on caregiving roles. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, that just got really heavy there. <laughs> yeah. I, I usually get that to that place with most folks. That's why they, they, they don't always talk to me at cocktail parties either. So, <laughs> so like, dude, just just trying, just trying, trying to drink, drink my Miller Lite. And <laughs> exactly. Like, well, that's your first problem. You should probably drink something better. But anyway, right, my, my privilege my, is showing again. Eighty-fifth <laughs> Miller Lite of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, you another thing that you talked about that I I like this premise because it reminded me of, you know, kind of this double standard where you talked about like the sacrifices that you've made for your family. And excuse me, like, I know that one thing that my husband has struggled with is like that reaction in the dentist's office after you tell somebody that you're a stay at home dad or primary Mm -hmm. caregiving dad, that is like, oh, wow, you know, you won the lottery or that's great. Mm -hmm. How lucky Mm -hmm. are you? You know, whereas that would that response would never come back to a stay-at-home mom or mm-hmm. a primary caregiving mother. Yep. And mm-hmm. um that double standard to me is just so dismissive. Right. Uh and it has been a real like kind of frustration for him because I feel like stay-at-home moms, it's like, oh, you need you need a break. What mm-hmm. do you do for yourself? How do you take care of yourself? And and I don't feel like that same uh, support generally comes back to him, certainly the people who are close to us, but I don't feel like he gets that same consideration. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, like I spoke to already, I, I get a sort of, I often get a sort of, you know, um, 
people don't know what to do with it reaction or the conversation sometimes fizzles when, when I talk about it. But yeah, and my wife's talked about this a number of times, both directly to me and then also to other, um, to other moms that she gets that double standard thrown back at her all the time. And, and, and that she's talked about this with, with one of our friends, um, who, um, <laughs> you know, his, her, her partner who actually she's, she, she's widowed now, but when he was alive, like great, just a wonderful dad, you know, he was a good dad too. And so they would always be like, Oh, you're so lucky to have him, you know, to like the other women would say this to, to her and, and women say this to my wife very often. Like, Oh, you're so lucky to have Jay. Like, he's so great. He's so like, somebody said to her early on when we had our first daughter, he's so hands-on, you know, like just watching me like pick up the baby when she's crying. Like, why wouldn't you pick up the damn baby when the baby's crying? You know, it's not like I'm not doing rocket science. And again, like I said before, she's set me up for a lot of my successes as well. Um, but yeah, that, that double standard is, she struggled with that. Um, not even like struggled in a sort of like, it doesn't make her like, I don't think she gets super down about her or anything, but she's just like, come on, come on world. Like, come on, do better, you know? And yeah. she's spoken to this in other respects too. Like how she was, she already feels that double standard as a woman of color. She's Filipina. And, and so like she, you know, like she's, she's felt that her whole life in different ways, whether in work situations or otherwise. So then to see that happen when we've become, as you say, like a sort of flipped family um, and then people make these assumptions and like, you know, I think, yeah, there's a part of her that might get sort of disappointed or annoyed at it, but then she's also just, She's also the type of person that can just turn the conversation and make it a teaching moment in a split yeah. second too. And yeah. so she never hesitates to make that happen for people like, no, this is, this is what we do. And this is why we do it. And like, yeah, it's, it's good to rethink this. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you don't need a round of applause for taking care of the people you put on this earth. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, not, that's not like it yeah. should, it's, it's an innate thing. And, yeah. and yes, I am lucky to have him and he's mm -hmm. lucky to have me. Right. And like, that's why we make a good partnership. Right. Um, but it's, we were similar. It took us a while to kind of figure out what our, what our lanes were you know, mm -hmm. and, and where we were comfortable. And frankly, for me, where I was comfortable relinquishing some control and, um, you know, realizing that things would be done on a different timeline that wasn't my timeline. And that mm -hmm. doesn't matter, right? Like that's mm -hmm. not my mm -hmm. jurisdiction anymore. Right. Um, right. And so that's always was our, you know, kind of, you know, our little, rather than layup, it was the, or the volley, I think you mm -hmm. said, it was mm -hmm. just like, stay in your lane. Yeah, like okay. Back, yeah. back in your lane. You do, mm -hmm. you do that really well. So yeah. stay over there. And like, right. I would come in and be like, oh, you know, fuck with the schedule or do something. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, no, 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 no. We got this covered. Oh, yeah. Out We've you go. plenty of those too. Yeah. 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 I got this. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to help. You're making it worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's, you just have to respect each other's, uh, each other's roles, each other's approach. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I've had, you know, so I run a group at Google for um, breadwinning women, mm -hmm. and we're now. I just looked at the numbers. We have twenty one hundred women in our community. It's an it's amazingly awesome. supportive group. Um, we've seen a lot of women women come into the community who are now the sole breadwinners with mm -hmm. me and and having um, partners lose their roles. And you know, I just I want our listeners and I want everyone to know, like it's a it's an evolution, like your family evolves. You're not, you know, whoever you, if you got married, whoever you walk down the aisle with, like you are different people as you become parents mm. and as your family grows and kids get older and challenges get different. Um, but I think really having that respect and mm. like patience for each other too, where it's like, you know, I, I've had so many women say things like, I can't even trust him to heat up a hot dog. It's like, come mm. on, mm. you know, you're just, you're, 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 you're letting him off the hook and you're just wrong. You know, mm -hmm, it's just like, mm -hmm. get these ideas out of your head that they're not capable of, of doing this. Not that right. it's not skilled work, but you know right. that you're competent. Right. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's problematic on, on a lot of levels. And yeah, I think both people are absolutely at fault in that, yeah. in that respect, you know, like there's, yeah. there's maybe some degree of laziness for the person who has shown some evidence for somebody to say oh you can't even heat up a damn hot dog or whatever but then when you can't even just teach somebody show them what you need them to execute you know yeah that's the thing i mean my wife and i have 
talked about this with other friends, um, other partnerships, you know, like some people might say, Oh, so-and-so the man doesn't, he doesn't execute even the plans that I put forth for him or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, I think you'll both just need to work harder to figure out how to make that happen. Cause right. it's not fair to put so much expectation, even in a, whether it's a stay at home dad situation, stay at home, you know, both working parents, you know, women are still doing the heavy lifting. And it's, yeah. and I mean, I, I, for one, like as a man, I'm not okay with it, you know, and I can, I can say that from a place of privilege because I don't have to work, but still. Yeah. Hey. It's, I, I see, and I do see with this pandemic, um, a lot more women, uh, breadwinners are not taking on even more roles inside the home, particularly mm. when, you know, the people aren't able to have, if they do have sitters or helpers coming in, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for a while, we weren't able to have them come in. And, um, you know, I do worry about our community a lot with that. Cause I think there's, uh, I, I think that, I think it could go one of two ways. It's mm. either now that everybody's home, you kind of see, how much work and effort it takes to run a household. And there's a mm-hmm. lot more like it's making the invisible workload much more visible mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in some positive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally have a lot of friends who are also working and they'll say, you know, when well, my husband just disappears into the basement from eight to six every day, his job is so demanding. It's like, is it though, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, you mm-hmm. know, or is that like yeah. a weird pass or is he not saying the flexibility he needs in his job because it's more, accepted for a woman to say she needs flexibility in her job versus him will he have actually even more repercussions like i think there's a lot of that yeah it's huge because then you look at it through the lens of the employer and i could imagine that that's the type of thing that also allows employers to give themselves a pass Mm -hmm. and say like well you know though they would wouldn't use the same language like you know because men are getting more things done they allow men like this sort of sense of like they're not the ones who are expected to take care of the kids, then then that allows the the, the sort of glass ceiling or the income inequalities to continue. Yeah. You know, like, and yet it's because companies aren't giving men paternally, if men st- aren't standing up and asking for it as much, you know, that, that, that kind of continues to let this happen. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see who steps up on the level of employers after this and during this to, to make, the workplace a better place. I mean, people have been saying this for a while. I think anybody who's paying attention right now um, to this time in the world, like people talk about it going back to normal. It shouldn't go back to normal, right? Because normal yeah. wasn't okay right. for, 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 for women, for people of color on down the line. Yeah. I And I think it's such an opportunity to unwind some of this. But even even before the pandemic, I've I've talked to friends of mine who yeah, we have a paternity leave policy, but nobody ever takes it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, yeah. we have a generous paternity leave policy, but, you know, I break it up and I take a week here and a week there and a week there. And it's like, well, that's actually not the point either, because mm-hmm. the, the the point is there's actually an inequity being built in the workplace because women, you know, who, certainly who carry have to take a maternity mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just get to pick and choose the weeks that you take it, mm-hmm. then you're not missing out on opportunities. You're not missing out on projects or deals. Mm-hmm. You're not missing out on promotion cycles because you're able to select mm-hmm. when a convenient time is for you to take that leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some, there's some strides being made, but there's a ton more work to do on that front. Um, and something I'm heavily involved in, uh, you know, internally and externally at my company and something that I think is, is evolving, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of, you know, this, this moment in time, hopefully there's a lot of very positive like studies and, and insights that come out of it. Um, but like you said, I don't want to see us return to normal because normal mm. wasn't as good as it should be. Yeah. 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 Listen, th- yeah. I feel like we are kindred spirits. I'm so <laughs> pleased to have made the connection with you. Yeah, and I wish we somehow lived closer in a non-pandemic and were able to <laughs> have a non-Miller light yeah, together at some absolutely. point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have good, we have good friends in New York and someday we're going to get there. Maybe we'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah. That yeah. sounds awesome. Thank you so much for your oh, time. Yeah. And then if people want to find out more about you and read more of your writing, you do most of your writing for the post. Is that right? For Washington Post? Yeah. Yeah. So I freelance for the Washington Post. So if you go to Washington Post and do a search for Jason Basa Nemec, uh, yeah, you'll find me or you could Google me and, um, 
Yeah, that's where, I mean, I have, I'm kind of like in fits and starts on Instagram, trying to grow that public presence a little bit more too. So I'm at, yeah. at Jason Basa Nemec, um, B-A-S-A-N-E-M-E-C. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And I just wanted to say real quick too, um, you know, after that article came out, uh, I had more men than ever reach out to me, which was really cool to see. You know, um, awesome. we spoke to this maybe tangentially earlier, um, you know, when you talked about having a man on your show, you know, it seemed to me like a large portion of your audience is women. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, since, you know, breadwinning women, et cetera. But um, I just want to say, like, I think this is really tough for men to talk about. And it seemed to open up a space it being like masculinity and the shame about like, you know, wanting to to be some different version of a man that you think you're supposed to be or whatever, even for somebody like me who logically knows how flawed some of these thinkings are, it's hard for me. Um, but given like the, the folks that reached out to me, the men that reached out to me, I thought it was awesome. And, um, they can reach out to me if they want, but I also want them to, to know that there are resources out there. It's just not nearly as visible uh, or as accepted for men to go to a place, whether it's to, to try to find a mental health professional if you're feeling really down, whether it's to just find somebody to talk to about the struggles that you're having. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's connected to these old school notions of stoicism and manhood and so on and so forth that, you know, a guy or whoever is supposed to just suck it up and deal with it, you know, whatever challenges you're man facing. Up. Yeah, yeah, man, man up, up right? right? Just nonsense. And just like, yeah, I just want to, you know, call that out for, and, and call in rather along with that, that, the, you know, for men who are either in this work or have some version of a struggle having to do with masculinity, like it's okay to not be okay. As, yeah. as a lot of intelligent people out there in the world are saying right now, I think people need to recognize that and, and start talking about it. Yeah, I think you need to build up the tribe and and break down the wall that this is not uh it's not a taboo topic. Yeah. It's not a you know, it's like I said with 41% of households being led by women, yeah. which includes single mothers, but that means there's a lot of non-primary earning men yeah. out there and this is not yeah. this is not their worth. Um, and I think it's a really critical thing to unwind, uh, particularly, like you said, from the mental health angle, mm -hmm. um, the general need for support. And that's why uh, I immediately reached out to you when I read your article, because I was so happy to see uh, a man speaking out on this and speaking out right. on kind of the duality of your emotions with your role. Um, and I think that's what, you know, like I said before, with man up and boys don't cry and like, yeah all part of this bullshit narrative that mm -hmm. we've been fed. And, uh, the more that I'm thrilled that a lot of men were reaching out to you. And I think the mm -hmm. more that space is created for those types of conversations and the less taboo it becomes. And even the breadwinning women notion has its whole other, uh, taboo topic, right? Because there is a question about how can you be, uh, feminine and a good mother if you're so driven mm. in your career, you know? Mm. So there's like, there's those double standards, which is all part of the same kind of ball of wax there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And if I could offer, I, I want us to move away from the word tribe, you know, I think that's an mm. appropriation for, um, native and indigenous people. Um, and if what you're saying though, is about community, which I think it is right. Like, yeah, yeah we need Thank more you of for those that. Com communities. Um, with shared interests. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's where I think that there is that, there is that community out there for stay at home dads and others and you know, what you're doing for breadwinning women. Yeah. It's just about, you know, looking for it. It's, it's like anything right now, if you are not finding the information in the world right now to educate yourself on something that is either challenging for you individually or, you know, um, a population of people, a group of people, you're just lazy. <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah. As I'm talking There's to somebody so from ways. Google, right? Like you so just, many ways to connect. You can yeah. Find it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. There's also, there's a, um, a person on Twitter that I follow, it's dad marketing. And mm. they basically talk about how much marketing is geared toward moms. And it's just like, mm. we're, we're here too. We, yeah. we go grocery shopping too. Yeah. We change diapers mm -hmm. too. And yeah. I think there are a lot of, uh, movements there that, uh, that can be discovered, but it might, it's not front and center yet, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's where we need to get to. So thank mm -hmm. you for first, thank you for that correction, because that mm -hmm. is now in my 
mental bank to make mm-hmm. note of. So thank you for that. Of course. No, thanks for um, receiving it. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Keep it mm-hmm. up. And Will I do. look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, same. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jason. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Was I scared or brave?